Welcome to Fountain Springs Online. At Fountain Springs, we believe in showing unconditional love, irrational generosity, and being unwavering in our mission to show people who Jesus is. We are one church in multiple locations that exists to help grow and guide your relationship with Jesus. We are so glad you've joined us today, and we hope that we can encourage, challenge, and support you in your walk with Jesus. Feel free to join us this coming weekend at any of our locations and services, or call or email us so we can help you in any way. We are so glad that you've joined us today at Fountain Springs Online. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. Dishonest. Goosebumps. Unreliable. Invisible. On demand. Flawed. Irrelevant. Hateful. Killjoy. Evil. Fraud. Heartless. Unstable. Liar. Ignorant. Absent. That's, That's not my God. God. Well, welcome. My name is David, if we have never met. Uh, as we lead into Easter, for those of you who like, don't know when Easter is, that's the problem. No one ever knows when it is because it moves around on us. And so you're like, Easter's coming. And, and, and before we got to Easter, we thought that we as a church should, uh, should rally around a conversation. If we're going to gather for Easter and celebrate who Jesus is, talk about God, right? Then maybe we should have a conversation leading up to it on who God is. I know it seems like, well, yeah. Yeah, we should. See, here's the problem is, is many of us, we, we think that we know who God is, but there are, there are facets of him, what he does, what he doesn't do, that frustrate us. And if you're anything like me, you find yourself going, I love God, but I'm pretty frustrated with what, what he's not doing or what he's doing. And so many of us, you may not be aware of this, and you certainly didn't do it on purpose, is that you've actually said, you are following God, you love God, you like God, but you're actually following a pretend God. A God that you may have made up. Maybe a God that was misrepresented to you. Maybe it's a mixture of truth <laughs> and opinion. Let me show you the problem with this. It's Something God said, Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. If you're like, I have read that before. If you've read that before, you know that this is uh, one of the Ten Commandments. You're like, ah, the movie. Yeah, got it. I remember that. And if you just thought about this, just think about it for a minute. If, if God's like, all right, I'm giving you some house rules, and uh, I'm going to give you ten. You should be able to remember ten. They're important. And rule number one, whatever you start with, with one, in theory, is really important to you. And I find it fascinating that God said, you want to know the number one rule you need to have for yourself? Is that you worship the right God, the one God. There's only one, but many of us, because of time and experience and, and maybe bad lessons, we've, we're not worshiping the right God, we're worshiping this, this made up, and so here's what the series looks like if you've missed out. We started already, but let me show you uh, last week and then the coming weeks. We talked about the first week. Maybe, maybe you're spending your time following, worshiping the on-demand God. A good God does what I want when I want. Maybe that's your version of God, and it's frustrated you because you didn't get what you wanted, and especially when you wanted it, his timing. 
in the Christian world or the church, we're like, yes, it's perfect. Which is true. But we rarely say, and it's annoying too. You hear that? It's called nervous laughter. Like, are we allowed? Yes. We can admit, we can admit, we can confess that God's ways don't always match up with our ways, and we find it frustrating. The problem is, is if you believe in an on-demand God, he does not exist. That's a false God, and you're going to have your faith rock someday. We're going to talk about the killjoy God, the idea that, that rules and regulations and, and God, that they're all intertwined, and, and a good God would just make a bunch of, of rules, and, he would, and it would be all about who is the good person and the bad person, and that's how it works. The, the last week of the series... We're going to go out where I think a lot of us struggle. The heartless God. A good God does not allow pain. I think, I think if you look at the pain in this world, maybe it's pain you experience yourself. Sometimes it confuses us about who God is. And I don't think it's necessary for us to be completely confused. But, but again, as we do this series, I'm not, I'm not talking about any of that today. I'm going to talk about the goosebumps God. This, a good God always makes me feel something. So here's what I know as a pastor, if you want to know the inner world. A lot of us feel insecure or inadequate because we see people who appear to regularly experience the presence of God. They regularly talk to God and he regularly talks back and you're like, yeah, I want some of that. And we, we don't have that. So I went to Psalm 23 the first week. Let's go there the second week. Psalm 23, 4 says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, even though, even though I walk through like a mess of stuff, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I mean, we read that like, aw. <laughs> Some of us, you've got that verse somewhere that's, that's very easily readable for you. That verse brings a lot of encouragement to you. The fact that no matter what you go through, when stuff hits the fan, God's with you. And you're like, yay! But I have a question. If God is, is always with us, he's always with me. Well, doesn't it always feel like it? Maybe you'd be willing to have such an open, vulnerable, honest conversation. Maybe you, you might be willing to walk into the fact that, that you believe the verses that the Bible says, that God is with us, He does not forsake us, He does not abandon us. And you're like, yes! If that's true, which I believe it's true, why doesn't it feel like it? Because if you're any kind of an honest human being, you have to admit it. You have to admit that there are days that you've been pretty good, but you didn't feel the presence of God anywhere. In fact, maybe you've walked as far as to cry out to God, say, saying, God, like, like where are you at? Maybe words like what David said resonate with you. But I cry to you for help, Lord, in the morning. 
my prayers come before you? Why? Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? Are you willing to have a conversation about this? Because I am. Those moments where you might cry out to God and say, God, it appears as, as though you're hiding from me. Because you believe portions of the Bible that declare that God's there, but you're like, I don't feel you. And our, our emotions start going. I, I remember when we were expecting our first kid. Hayden was on the way, and many people, we had many good intending people said, David, David, I'm going to tell you about the experience of welcoming your first child into the world. And I was like, please tell, because I have no idea what I'm doing. And they said, David, when you're, when you're in that hospital room, it's going to feel like God is standing next to you. And I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yes. I mean, in, fact, in fact, as you hold your newborn child, it's going to feel like God is just peeking up over your shoulder, and you are both just amazed. So I went in, well, with high expectations of the moment. Going, this is going to be epic. One, there's the whole, I'm going to be a parent. That's going to be cool. <laughs> but God's going to hang out with us the whole time. And this, I'm going to, this is going to be awesome. So I, re I remember the moment. Because, I mean, so the birth happened. That, that was, easy, was easy for me. And, and I'm like, this is, <laughs> this is pretty fun. I'm enjoying this. And I remember being in the room, you know, after Hayden was born, it's just Katie and I, and I'm, I'm waiting for God to show up. I'm like, come on, man. No one else is visiting right now. You can, we are ready. We, and there was nothing. No feelings whatsoever. I mean, I, I'm in love with my son, and it's a cool moment. But there was no goosebumps. There was no like angels going, oh, we're so glad for this. There was nothing spiritual. And I'm like, what's going on? God, did we do so? Are you mad at us? Flip it. There's been times I'm on my motorcycle riding through the hills listening to Pearl Jam because that's what you do on a motorcycle. And I'm listening to Pearl Jam thinking about how much I love the sound of my bike, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I feel the presence of God. I'm like, God, you, you don't want to listen to Pearl Jam? You cool with that? <laughs> and I am, I, 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 I'm, I'm full disclosure, I'm, I've been on my bike, and I'm crying. I'm, I'm riding, riding with anybody else. I'm, I'm crying. And I feel the presence of God. And I didn't plan on it, didn't anticipate it, didn't do anything in preparation for it. But all of a sudden, I'm feeling like God is close to me. And that will mess with you later because you're like, wait a minute. There are days that I've been really good, really on point, And there's been days I've not been paying attention to God whatsoever. And it appears this feeling like God is close is impossible to figure out. And I learned something. Maybe you already know it. Feelings <laughs> are not facts. Your feelings, whatever you're feeling right now, <laughs> might be true. 
I mean, if you're feeling like, wow, best sermon I've ever heard, that's true. That's locked in. <laughs> Follow that one. But if you're feeling something different or, or if you've been in another moment where you're like, I, I want this feeling to happen, <laughs> and it doesn't, and you wonder, like, oh, no, what did I, what I, what I do wrong? What, what's, what's playing out right now? What? What I've learned in life, and I think you know this, I just wanted to bring it up, is that, that our feelings, what, what we feel in the moment or even delayed later, could be wrong, could be right. But many of us right now are living based on our feelings. Your feelings to you feel so true, so right, so you, what, what just seems locked in, and the world will tell you, if you feel it, that's your truth. You go with that. Lock, yes, chase that. I'm telling you, our feelings sometimes are not, not being honest. It's not a, a crazy deceptive moment. They're just not always facts. But Proverbs 14, there is a path before each person that seems right feels right but it ends in death i mean you talk about a turn right there you're like yes it oh many of us in our romantic relationships have like mm, why didn't someone show me that verse right right this relates to god see many of us are trying we want to f feel the presence of God. In fact, I rarely, e even, even some of my atheist friends have said, uh, if he's real, I, I, I would love to feel the presence of God. I think most of us, if I asked you, you'd be like, I want to feel the presence of God. So let me walk you further. Feelings are not facts. But they can be symptoms. They can be some sort of a revealer. See, I don't want to spend the rest of our time going, your feelings are evil. Do not ever listen to your feelings. That's actually not true. God will sometimes leverage your feelings. God will sometimes show up again in random ways where you'll be like, whoa, and, and, and your feelings will be moved. And it doesn't mean that all everything you ever feel is, is untrue and bad. and mis but, but our feelings... The moments outside of like what you know, the feelings, they could show us something. So I, I want to, I got to be careful here because some of us, you're like, okay, so if I don't feel God, then, it, then it's something I've done. Oh no, oh no, no. There is a part to this conversation that I cannot speak into. The part that why you don't feel the presence of God sometimes and you have been the best human being ever known to mankind that day. I don't know. I don't know why. I have no idea. I wish sometimes he would cater to our feelings. But I can talk to you about if you are not experiencing the presence of God on a regular basis, if it is so foreign to you that you're like, I don't even know if I ever have experienced it. I don't know. I've I, I, I just been a long time. If it's so foreign to you, there could be reasons. And I want to share with you too. Here's the first one. Refusing to refuse our own way makes it difficult to feel his presence. 
refusing to refuse our own way. If you're like, I need more. It means your way, what you want right now, what feels good, and you're like, let's go for the donuts. Refusing to refuse your own way could be your problem. Many of us right now are like, God, whatever you want, I'm not interested in it all because I want what I want. I mean, you've got to be open and honest about this, that, that our way, our cravings, our wants, our desires, a lot of times are a priority. So many of us are living in such a way right now that, that you, yeah, sure, like if God showed up in your life, that would be pretty cool. But, but in the meantime, there's some things you want and you're going after them. And in fact, you're refusing to refuse yourself. Let me show you this in the book called Titus. Again, one of my favorite. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. You're like, duh, okay. But nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. Such people claim they know God, but they deny Him by the way they live. This will, do you know that there are people who say one thing and do the other? I know, you're like, no, I, I just, I, I just, Trust me, it happens. They deny him by the way they live. They're detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. They deny him by the way they live. And many of us are like, I would never stand in front of God and deny him. Well, perhaps your denial is the way you live. Not a verbal one, but the way you're living, you're, you're being consumed perhaps, I've been there, I've been there, where I am consumed with what David wants. I'm consumed with, with my version of life, what I've set up, what I'm shooting for, I'm consumed with it. If you've never seen this, you've never been on social media. If you are not aware of a, of a, it's not even a trend, it's just locked into our culture in a crazy way, is there is a great example of being consumed with ourselves. One day, if it isn't already, it'll be in the Smithsonian. And they'll be like, what took down America? <laughs> the selfie stick. Some of you are like, the what? The selfie stick. I'm not hating on the selfie stick. I think they're kind of fun at times, but the selfie, the, the I want to be in the picture, and I'm going to go after this picture. If you don't know, some theme parks have had to ban these from rides. Because people thought, I know the best idea right now. I know it's the best idea I can come up with right now. I'm on a fast roller coaster going up and down. I'm going to stick my hand out of the roller coaster and take a picture of myself. Oops, where'd my hand go? And, <laughs> right, and they've, had, they've had, to, had to ban these things. Um, 
I think we can get a glimpse of what's going on in our world through some news headlines. Um, if you're not familiar with Selfie Stick, there are lots of people who are uh, basically going after this in ways that, well, just let me, here's some headlines, okay? Just uh, two Russian soldiers west of Siberia were posing for a selfie uh, with a live grenade. <laughs> I'll sum it up, they died. <laughs> You're like, can I live with that? I don't know if I A teenager attempted to take a selfie uh, on top of a train in Romania. She decided to lay down on the roof of the train car and, and when she reached up with one of her legs to pose, she hit an overhead live wire, 27,000 volts. You know what happened. During the running of the bulls, <laughs> that you're, I mean, do you need me to read anymore? <laughs> During the running of the bulls, I'm going to leave the guy's name out, uh, not that you would know him, but... Uh, left the audience-protected area. What a profound statement. The audience protected the, the area designed by professionals to protect you. Left the audience-protected area to capture a selfie in front of two bulls. Uh, yeah, he died. <laughs> a private airplane pilot was flying over Colorado. Oh, a little bit closer to home decided to start taking a series of selfies. He had landed in a wheat field, not on purpose. And perhaps the one that I understand the least is a Chinese businessman who decided in China to go to the zoo to take a selfie with a one-and-a-half-ton walrus. He left the confines of the safe area walked into the environment with the walrus and took a selfie and was quickly dragged away by the walrus. If you ever want to have fun, just go to the internet and look for those and you will see an endless list of deaths, accidents, embarrassing moments, of people trying to get a picture of themselves in an environment that was never designed for them to get a picture of themselves. And I can't help but see in the midst of this a symptom going on in our culture of an obsession with ourselves, being in our own story and capturing it. What a sign, what a warning for you and I what a question to maybe even ask. What is currently something you're so obsessed about that is dragging you away from the very presence of God? Could it be that you and I are in jeopardy of not experiencing the presence of God, not because He's left us, abandoned us, walked away, but we are so consumed with what's going on in our lives, what we want, what we feel, we got no time for God. Could it be the fact that you have not recently experienced the presence of God, not God's problem, but it, could it be yours or, or mine, our refusal to simply refuse ourselves? 
We live in a culture right now that will not teach you to refuse yourself. But you and I have got to get a hold of this. If we don't refuse ourselves at many times throughout the day and night, we'll find ourselves living in what the Bible calls sin. And that sin will take you down. It is far worse than some physical death or a broken leg or an embarrassing picture. What sin will do to you will rob you of things you never even understood in life. Could it be that you don't know the presence of God because you don't refuse yourself? If you want to see like how big of a deal, Isaiah, no one calls on your name or strives to lay a hold of you, but for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. I, I, I can't prove this, but I wonder, I wonder, it's just a, it's a personal I wonder. For many of us, has God simply just said, if, if you're not going to listen, then I'm just going to let you ha- have what you think is fun. And, and you and I are going to wonder, we're, we're going to blame it on God. God, why'd you leave me? And he's like, I didn't leave you. You, you left me. Perhaps. The presence of God is not far from you. It's just that you're refusing to refuse. But I don't think that's the only reason. Some of us are like, actually, David, I have done pretty well lately. Some of you are even in from a legalistic setting. Don't worry, we'll talk about that later. But, but you're like, I'm actually living pretty right. Well, okay, refusing to trust God's way makes it difficult to feel his presence. Maybe your issue is not like, active sin. You're like, you know what? I'm being faithful to my spouse. I'm raising my kids pretty good. Uh, I I rarely do bad things. I'm pretty locked in. And uh, let me just let me just bring it up. Perhaps you're refusing, though, to live life God's way. It's it's a faith conversation. Maybe you have not experienced the presence of God lately because you have not done anything to require God. Where you're like, no, I've got the finances handled and the health is good and I've got a job and the house and the car's running. What do I need God for? And many of us don't live by faith. We're Christians and we say so maybe or we go to church and we're like, no, I, I believe God exists and I haven't seen him. So faith. Well, maybe, maybe there's a misunderstanding of what faith is. Let me take you to a popular verse that I think this will help. Now, faith is, if you're like, what is faith? It tells us. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Assurance of what we do not see. I think this is where we get it kind of messed up. We're like, okay, confidence in, in what we hope for. Many of us have hopes and dreams, and we are confident in it. We are claiming it. Yes. And then we're like, assurance about what we do not see. Assurance is, is that optimism? <laughs> optimism about the stuff? I mean, we, we have not seen the physical God. Well, like Moses got to see a, a bush on fire. 
Others have seen fire come down from the sky. Others have watched Jesus himself walk on water. You're like, I haven't, haven't seen that. So I guess I'll have optimism, David. That's what faith is, is confidence in our hopes and a little bit of optimism mixed in there. Well, the problem is, is when the original writer was writing, he was not writing in English. I know. It wasn't English. It was a foreign language, and, and oftentimes when we translate it, it doesn't land right like we should write it. And the word assurance is not the best word. So I did some study. And I went after the, the real word. The wor- real word for assurance is actually conviction. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. And the original writer wrote, and conviction about what we do not see. Conviction. Do you currently live right now by conviction? Do you make decisions? Do you live your life not based on feelings and emotions and what feels right and seems right, but you're like, no, I've got truth and I'm convicted to hold to the truth and no matter what the bank account says or the doctor says or the car says, no, no matter what, I am convicted by this and I live by this. Faith is a conviction that God's way is best. Faith is is a strong, not optimism. It's a conviction that even though you might be in a mess, you hold to your conviction. That's faith. Faith does not let a diagnosis or an account Faith does not let other people, it's a conviction. And many of us have not experienced the presence of God because we don't live by conviction. Let me show you what conviction looks like. Let's go back to Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. If you don't see the convictional words, I'll show you. Even though I will. Even though life is horrible and dark and painful and this is not going well. Even though I will. And many of us do not experience the presence of God. He's there, but you don't experience it because you don't live by faith, because you're actually living by optimism that no, we're called the conviction. If you, if you don't know the ugly side of someone backing away from their faith, backing away and going, oh, I was just optimistic. That was not a conviction. I can show you another part of an interaction Jesus had with a rich guy. Let me show you. It's the ugly side, just to forewarn you. Looking at the man, looking at the rich guy, who's like, hey, I want to be saved. <laughs> I want to go to heaven. Uh, how's that play out? Looking at the man, the rich guy, Jesus felt genuine love for him. If you want to know, did Jesus love him? Yes. There's still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. Some of you are like, okay, no problem. That's not going to take long. This guy's rich. Tons of things and money. Go sell it all and give it to the poor and you'll have a treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. 
At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. My fear for you, i be very open with you. My fear is that there are many of us right now listening who are heading towards a day that you will walk away from God because you have been living by optimism, not faith. And you and I are called not to be optimistic about God, but to be convicted, to live by conviction. If you do not live by conviction, if you read what the Bible says about what to do with money, what to do with your time, what to do with your feelings, if you're like, I read that, but I don't like that, so I'm going to delay that. Then you are living by optimism. A lack of conviction creates unapplied faith. You, you might even say a lack of conviction creates a lack of faith. And many of us are desperate for faith. We would love to have some more faith. Give me some more faith. I want faith because I love, uh, I love what that generates in my soul. A, a trust, a trust, are you kidding me? To trust God? A lack of conviction creates unapplied faith. And if you live too long with unapplied faith, if you live too long in optimism, you're gonna lose your understanding of God and the, his presence is going to be very very foreign to you so if you're interested at all <laughs> you, you, you may not like what I'm about to say but but if you're interested like I want to follow the one true God and I want to live by conviction and hope how do I live by conviction and hope if I don't have good faith now strong faith now how do I get that faith your next moment with God may require faith first. First. You're like, no, you had that wrong. See, here's what happens is God shows up and does a miracle, and then I have faith. <laughs> That's what builds it, you know. Uh -uh. No, what God asks is, I want you to hope and have conviction that I am who I say I am first, and then you will see what you never dreamt of. Jeremiah 29, verse 13 and 14. You will seek me and find me, presence of God, when you seek me with all your heart. Oh, another convictional word. Another like, it doesn't say you will seek me and find me when you seek me. Ah, Half-heartedly, maybe, randomly. No, oh, all your heart. You got to put your whole heart in this. This is why many people walked away from Jesus and said, forget you, man. We have stories in the Bible, examples of it. It's why everyone is not going to follow Jesus. He calls us to have our whole heart in this. If you do, I will be found by you. That's called a promise. And we'll bring you back from captivity. If any of you right now feel like you're in captivity, captive to worry, anxiety, 
to a diagnosis, to an account balance, to a friendship, a toxic something, and you're like, I just feel captive to it. And maybe you'll walk this out and say, I gotta live my life different with hope and conviction. I'm not afraid to tell you at all. I will proudly tell you that the biggest miracles in my life to date have been in the financial world where I have had nothing, but because Katie and I did what God said to do, stuff showed up. If that offends you too much, I've got other stories. I remember when we as a church had about seven or 800 people attending on a weekend and felt like God was saying, hey, you gotta get out of this one building on Easter. So we were like, okay, we don't have a budget for it. When I say budget, there, there literally was not a line item in the budget. It's called zero dollars. We were struggling paying our bills at the time too and going, okay, God, okay. So we went to the Civic Center to have an Easter service. The problem was, felt like God said, no, don't just have one service. You need to have two. And I'm like, obviously, you're not aware of the seats, God. There's a lot of them there. We have about 800 on a good weekend. Civic Center had 1,700 seats. You do two services. For those of you like math, I don't know. That's over 3,000 seats. And I will not lie to you. I remember peeking out from the curtain backstage going, is this stupidity or is this faith? And I remember peeking out. <laughs> Both services full, about 3,000 people show up. We had bought Bibles for all the people who would be new believers who would actually say, I'm going to follow Jesus. We bought Bibles with the mindset, these Bibles, this will be good. This will last us a year or two. We gave away almost all of them after the first service. And I would tell you one of the most defining moments in the life of this church have been Easter at the Civic Center. My guess is a large portion of you, that was a defining moment in your own life. I will tell you, if you want God to show up in your life, He's there already. But your hope and conviction about Him involves Him in a way that many of you have not involved Him. So perhaps you'll get beyond the idea of a goosebumps God that's supposed to make you feel something and you and I surrender, re-surrender maybe to Him and say, all right, I, I don't know what is in the future. That's called faith, by the way. I don't have all the answers. That's called faith. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know how we're going to afford this. I don't know what He's going to do. I don't know any cure for this, but, but, but faith is going to get me there. So here's what we're doing. In my heart, I am praying for you and for the people who have never, ever shown up at any location that whether it be Easter or some other time, that God would draw people who don't know who He is, that He would draw them and give us the privilege, the privilege to get to show people who Jesus is. So to my right and left are prayer walls. If you were with us the first week, you know what this is. This is a time of the service that you're going to be asked to be involved in. <laughs> yeah, you. 
on those walls are names written on pieces of paper, rolled up, put into a prayer wall. Those are names of people we are praying for. My guess is you know someone who doesn't know who Jesus is, and with faith, with hope, with conviction, we're going to pray for them that they would know who Jesus is. So I'm going to pray for you, that you would be bold enough to listen to God and, and, and even write a name and roll it up, put in the in the prayer wall. So when I say amen, that will be your cue that if you haven't yet done this or a new name has come to mind, you're going to get up, go to there, write a name on a piece of paper and put it in the prayer wall. We as a church, all of us, fellas at RCMU are doing this. East and West is doing this. We believe with hope and conviction that anyone and everyone matters. So we're going to start praying for them. So let me pray. And when I say amen, it's your turn. Let's pray. God, we surrender these moments to you. We ask, Lord, with humble hearts that you would begin to flood our minds with names of people, even, even the names of groups of people that, that we, could, we could declare and write down, and, and God, that you would draw to, to Easter, to, to any kind of interaction, God, that we could show them who, who you are. God, would you just flood our minds with, with names, would you give us mental pictures of people? And, and you, you're going to understand, whatever we write down, you know exactly who they are, God, but would you help us? Would you inspire this? Would you give us wisdom right now? God, would you help us in this moment, please? Would you help us to listen to you? God, these next few moments, we entirely surrender to you. Lord, may you take this as an act of worship, just simply writing names. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for what you're telling us. These names, God, will you draw them? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.